Shalom everyone, this is Noach Binyamin, and welcome to Torah Thoughts, a weekly Parsha podcast where I delve into the worlds of Judaism, mental health, and personal growth. In this episode, I speak with Rabbi Shalom Schwartz, founder and visionary of Project Aseret, a global movement focused on learning and living with the core values of the Ten Commandments. We discuss his Aseret story in the hopes that it can inspire us all to find our own place within the Big Ten. Let's start with the idea of being shlichim, of being messengers. Um, one of the key realizations I've had prior to receiving this message, but it fit so directly to carrying the insight of what the Asarati brought are, what the Ten Commandments are, uh, it relates to this story of Eli Wiesel, that I heard from Eli Wiesel. I, it's attributed also to others, but I heard it directly from Eli Wiesel, and it has always stuck with me because of the way he delivered it, and I think the extent to which it was a very fundamental message in his life and the way he lived his life. Um, so Eli Wiesel put it this way. He said, modern Jewry can be compared to a messenger that got a hit on the head. and was knocked unconscious. And when he became conscious again, he woke up and he looked around and he didn't remember who sent him, who he was sent to deliver the message to, what the content of the message was or is, and lastly, the very fact that he was a messenger. Those four dimensions... um, Eli Wiesel said, are, are, you know, sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're sorely lacking in Jewish consciousness, not everywhere, and not everywhere to the same degree, of course, but if you were to take a snapshot of what carried the Jewish people for the thousands of years that we recognized ourselves as messengers, and so much of modern Jewry defines its Jewishness and and even Judaism in ways that don't put that at the heart of who we are. And to me, that perhaps is the most guiding force in my life that I've been able to connect with as what the meaning of the Ten Commandments and this project Aseret or whatever, the the whole vision that I've been able to understand that Aseret provides for me and for others comes into play through that uh, parable. So... The parable, as it applies to you, is that the Jewish people were hit on the head in some way. They, were, they had a message. They had something, and which was best encapsulated in the Asera Sedibros, the Ten Commandments, as we're going to call them for now. And then they fell asleep. There was a sort of amnesia. And now they don't even know that there is a thing, such as a, a value that is the Ten Commandments. And the message, what it means, what it stands for, what it says about us, what it says about where we're going, what it says about the core parts of our identity, that's been lost, even to people that are very much involved in Judaism? Well, let's let's personalize it even. You know, the I, I grew up in a so-called assimilated home where Judaism meant relatively nothing to me. Uh, I viewed religion as a source of conflict in the world, not as a sort of unifying force for positive change. And so my Jewish identity was 
nothing to do with my drive to make a better world, which I also had strongly as a young person. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, I attached myself to the idealistic vision of uh, the age of Aquarius and ushering in a new understanding of the possibilities of humankind, the oneness, no more wars, all of these visionary and idealistic uh, themes that I grew up with I had nothing to do with my Jewish identity. If anything, they, they seem to be completely at odds with. So that's one form of amnesia. I discovered much later that the Jewish people have carried this utopian vision of the so-called age of Aquarius, called it Yemot HaMashiach, the days of, of a messianic age that um, has been central to not just our vision for ourselves and for humanity, but our identity. And that's the part I think that is so crucial here. And and so so spiritual amnesia means that I, I've not just lost track of, of some content, which we'll discuss. So obviously, the Ten Commandments is a, a, a hidden treasure in a sense. It's this treasure house and wellspring of, of wisdom and guidance and depth and a, a tremendous amount of uh, insight that one can derive simply by learning the sources and, and looking at what the Ten Commandments directly say. But if, if you identify yourself as a as a shaliach, as a messenger of a message that you were entrusted with at Mount Sinai via these Ten Commandments, then it losing track not just of, of the content, but the very fact that that's central to your identity and your purpose individually and collectively, that we have this partnership with God to perfect the world, that is mind-boggling that, that that is not part of our central identity. And and to me, that's the tragedy individually of individual Jews, both in the religious and in the so-called secular Jewish world. That's not clear. It, of course, it's not a new idea. I'm not No one said, "Well, where did you get that idea from?" <laughs> we, uh, no one stood up on stage telling his own said, "Whoa, you, what, what are you talking about?" Everyone got, "Yeah, we gosh, we've we've lost track of that." It's not a new idea. It's realized it's it's amnesia. We've forgotten how central it is to what it means to be a Jew. And we forgot the relationship to this specific content that we are entrusted with at Mount Sinai in a direct revelation from God that God said, here's what you need to fulfill that role of being a light to humanity. And and here take it, protect it, hold on to it, live with it, understand it, review it. Keep it as a central part of your identity in your life because you need to live it in order to communicate it. But you, a messenger can not only be a transferring of a message, are we entrusted to live with the core values that are contained in the Ten Commandments to fulfill our mission as, a, as, a, as messengers through living the message? And, th you know, that's the classic, you know, be, be the change that you want to bring about. So that's contained certainly in the Ten Commandments. And to the extent to which it also reflects on we were given to it by God and we were given to it for ourselves individually, collectively, and for the world, that's not so understood. So when I say it, to me, that was the central insight that I was able to not only uh, connect with through understanding that the Ten Commandments but it became a, a game changer in every aspect of my life and the work that I've been doing in education and beyond for the last uh, 15 years since I, I got this insight. So I think that this episode started almost like we just jumped right. It, we, we didn't even introduce, I just said, Mr. Aseret. And then it just, it was almost like a, a just go, 
and let's get right into this in a sort of haphazard but really interesting way where you just kind of like wake up there's something going on here you we, we didn't start with this formal thing about you know project assert is this and this is that it was more you started with this this uh parable this idea from Ellie Wiesel and it's kind of like wake up and and hopefully we've gotten people's attention that there's something going on here that is so important for you to talk about. So why don't you now introduce Project Deseret a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you about its impact on you. Okay. You know, I was sort of wondering when I said the words, um, the insight that I got, I usually don't speak about it that way because just as I was saying, I, I feel like I'm a protector of a certain message. I, I received it in a it wasn't a direct revelation from God, uh, although in a sense it was, but it was a, was, I actually got this idea from a kibbutznikit named Sharon Portugali. Uh, she lives on Kibbutz Ma'agan Michael, a good friend. And at that time, uh, almost exactly 15 years ago, uh, at this time of the year, uh, I was standing on a a street corner in Tel Aviv. And um, this was after many months of discussions with her and her husband about um, things that uh, were relevant to both of us at that time, caring about where the state of Israel is going and issues that were around us, like good Israeli and good Jewish people do. We discuss issues and try to find solutions. Anyways, I was standing there, and I think she was I was giving her something, or she I don't remember even the context, but I was standing on this corner, and she came up to me. It was a very short conversation. And she said to me, Shalom, I, I know what you're looking for. It's it's something, right, that, that's gonna, that can unite all the Jews of Israel. And not only that, but it can activate this latent idealism that you found in so many people. It's not so latent, but, you know, this the idealism from the right to the left, from the religious to the non-religious, the, there's this idealism that seems to be not not given full focus and and it's it's hard for people to work together to create a better country and and but you're looking for something that can unite that idealism amongst all these diverse groups yes Sharon the Askerak yeah and he said and thirdly you want something that even the secular Jew she he doesn't like the word I don't like the word secular either but she she certainly doesn't identify herself as a secular Jew others would say that about her because of how people tend to label people, but she's a she's a very spiritual person. She's a very good Jew. She's a very proud Jew. And she said, "But you know, even the so-called secular world will identify with it as their own, because for something to create change, it can't be felt as something coming from the outside. It has to be an expression, an authentic expression of who so-called we are. And we are in this case is the whole." Jewish people, really every human being, but certainly uh, what at that time we're trying to find something for our country, Israelis, that would express this sense of this is who we are. So it can't be something from the Torah that would be viewed as external or belonging to some group of Orthodox Jews or something like that. It had to be something that had a universal um, message that every person could identify with, certainly every secular Jew would see it as their own, as an expression of who they are. I said, yeah, sure, and yeah, go on. Well, she said, well, I, you don't have to invent it. It's not something, you know, you've been trying to find something or create something new, but it already exists. It's the Aserata Dibrod. 
what's called in English the Ten Commandments. And then she got back in the car. <laughs> no, pardon me. She said one more thing. She said, when you teach this to so-called secular Jews, don't start teaching from number one. Uh, the first commandments can unfortunately not be so accessible to your average secular Jew, and, and it might be divisive in that sense. You know, God, Shabbat, those things can be politically charged, religiously charged. Don't don't start there. Start from number 10, which is from then till now has always been her favorite of the Ten Commandments. Don't don't covet, lo tachmud. Once you start from that, and it's such a deep commandment that's so deep, the teachings around don't covet. And if you able to teach from that point and then do the countdown, she called it like a, you know, countdown, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, that you'll teach them from 10 to 1. By the time you get to the so-called more uh, religious ones or the more the ones that are more uh, you know, more challenging for a so-called secular Jew, they'll completely be with you because they'll see mo so much depth and, and common ground that they'll feel and relevance that when you get to Shabbat, you'll also be able to show the relevance and power of those he brought as well, those commandments as well. So that was a, a pivotal moment in my life. I really was looking for those things that she described. And I wasn't sure that the game, I mean, you know how you have like an aha moment and it goes like, oh my gosh, is that, why didn't I see that? Almost all aha moments in some way relate to seeing something that's right in front of your face or right inside of your heart, but you quite, you haven't quite been able to allow it to surface fully. And then somehow it appears or circumstances or people say something to you and you go, aha. Uh -huh. So that was for me that aha moment. And and from that point till now, 15 years later, I, I literally have not gone a day without studying the Ten Commandments, trying to understand how they apply to Israel, to the world, to the Jewish people, individually, collectively, families. It's been a bit of an obsession in a sense. It's been a, a an avoda, something I've been working on, and, and it's been an exciting journey. Wow. There's a lot to, to pick up there, but I think the most important thing to hear from you is that this thing that you didn't know before, even though you've been in Jewish education, you've been, you're Rev Shalom, you've been teaching, you've been involved back in Toronto, in Israel, with the Russian community. There's so many things that people know about you as a Jewish educator. It wasn't as if you weren't a Jewish educator and you weren't, you know, a devoted Jew and ra raising your family in that way and raising your life. But, but there was something about what she said and not just what she said, but what she pointed to. And it sort of, you looked at it and you said, okay, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, the initial moment was probably amazing, but once you went into, and we're going to get there, everybody here, it's not just you who was like, wow, that's really cool. It's reflected in all of Jewish consciousness and Jewish tradition for the thousands of years, the central, unbelievably important value of the Ten Commandments. And so you mentioned that it needs to come from within. And for you, that's what it did. It did come from within. It is It is within. There, there's a part of this that it's not another, for you, it's not another, you know, I found this Rebbe or or this type of Jewish teacher or type of Jewish teaching, whether it's Hasidic or Musser or some, you know, mind-blowing way of looking at things in one particular area. This is something more than that to you. So I'm wondering if you could explain that maybe a little bit better. Well, I think that one doesn't have to be um, exposed to a lot of Jewish study 
to realize the significance of the Ten Commandments as the the heart and soul of the Torah, right? It, as as the Abar Benel points out, right? He says there are three major factors here that just a, a superficial look at what the Ten Commandments are in the Torah show you that there's something significant and central and powerful about the Sarti Bot. Firstly, they're the only time that, that God spoke to, according to the Torah, to humankind directly, to an entire people, a national revelation. It's the one time in all of history, these 10 things Hashem said to the whole Jewish people. Okay, Rashi points out that the two had a different dimension, more direct, the, the last eight were in some way through Moshe, but it's actually the Rabbanan, it's a discussion in the in the Talmud, and the, the main opinion of the Talmud, not Rashi's, is that all 10 were actually heard directly by the Jewish people. Okay, that's the Abarbanel says is number one, significant point to notice. Number two, they, they're put into the holy, what's called the holy of holies, right? You had to pick one place on earth that would signify, well, I, I wonder what we should put in the holiest place on earth. These tablets, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so they're put on, he points out, first of all, they're put on tablets that are also, of course, in the Torah itself twice, but they're in the five books of Moses, but they're also separated into these God-given, miraculously created tablets, according to the Torah. That's the writing of God, written with the finger of God. There's, these are not normal, everyday words. These are something that were engraved in the tablets. Okay, so that's the second point. The third is, he says, they're, not, they, they're given a special status even by their name. They're called a seratadvarim. It's not just another set of mitzvot. And by the way, the, ten, the word Ten Commandments is a bit of a mistranslation. There are more than ten. According to tradition, they contain all of the commandments of the Torah. But even if one were to just count the number of so-called commandments of the Torah in those ten so-called Ten Commandments, you'd find, depending on uh, how many you want to include, but 14 or 15 commandments are actually contained in that list. The Torah calls them aseret hadvarim, which means ten statements, not commandments, because they're statements. They're meant to be much more than just commandments. They're essential truths. They're the roots of all the commandments. They're viewed in different ways uh, that one could look at what they are. But we can I, see I'm that Dvarim even is the words. They're the yeah, words. They're, they're the scribes. Like, the, Hadvarim. Yeah. It's the the beautiful. Like, the the words. They are the the ten. The, the ten. Cap, we just capital T. Maybe we should just call them the ten. I mean, they are right. the. It depends how you you know that thing about like, you know, what you emphasize, what what word you emphasize. You can it's it's the ten or it's the it's the ten. It's the ten. That's a way to put it. The ten have a very uh, difficult PR campaign about how how you want to call it because. The Ten Commandments is pop culture. It's not accurate. It mostly doesn't come from a Jewish lens, not saying that that's inherently wrong, but we as the Jewish people need to figure out a way to claim it in language, and it's very hard. It's very hard. Hey, so there's a bit of a checkered history that has that one could unravel about this. Oh, we, we got to get into that. that. That's an investigation that we've been on, uh, you know, your research team, and it's it's fascinating. Right, so I think eventually we'll we'll speak about that, but I think that also has to do with what we're what we're talking about. We're revealing a hidden treasure, and there's reasons to to understand historically why it might have been, you know, 
not hidden completely, obviously. It's in most synagogues you'll find. Everywhere. The, the, it's everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. So it's it's one of these open secrets, right? Okay. On the one hand, it's the centerpiece of all of Judaism. It's the heart and soul of the Torah. It's called the, the root of all of the, the mitzvot. It's called the... The uh, ikar hadat, the essence of the of the religion by the Rambam, it it's not hidden that it's the central piece. On the other hand, you have some issues that have arisen because of its centrality, because it's so uh, comprehensive, because it has such a power to it that some people during our history felt the need to um, distance in some ways ourselves from giving them a special status. And I'll just say this in advance, even that attempt, like uh, as you may have heard, you know, some people don't stand when the Ten Commandments are being written shul. The Ramam speaks about that approach. The standing or the not standing is not diminishing in any way the importance of the Ten Commandments. What they were concerned about is that the authority that if you give that the Ten Commandments are viewed as the only commandments that are have the authority of God's revelation, that's diminishing other parts of the Torah. Okay, we can talk about that, why it happened, when it happened. There's different theories about that, but let let's let's uh, focus for a moment on what we do have, which is till this day, an emphasis on sustaining that recognition on a daily basis. Uh, in, according to the Tur Shulchan Aruch and the Mishnah Brewer and the Ramah and the Shulchan Aruch, all the classic commentators say, you should say the Ten Commandments every day. You should reveal them when and how and why exactly. Well, it used but, to be a part of the Shema. We, we're going to, not a part, well, that's a whole other discussion, but it used to be a part of the daily service. It was said alongside the Shema. I don't know the exact order. I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but it was one of, there were three, there are three parshiot that we say as part of the Shema. They're from different parts of the Torah. And the fourth one that was said alongside those was the Asera Sedibros. That's, that's, yeah, it was before. It was directly it was before, before, that's before, the before. It was directly, uh, I mean, the combination of the first paragraph mm -hmm. of the Shema preceded by the Asera Sedibros was a custom, certainly in the temple and according to many in, the, in synagogues at that time. And, one doesn't have to, uh, again, look further than that to see that this is a centerpiece of a reconnection with that mission that we were entrusted with. It's core like the Shema. What we're trying to emphasize here, I think, and, and again, it's a whole planet, and there's there's a way to really... We can get into it, and maybe I'll talk a little bit about my experience with that, but it's, it's, a, it's a planet. It's a, it's a whole planet, but it's very close. And it is so central that it is, it is the text itself of the Torah. The Torah is telling us that this is the most important, not that anything else is unimportant in any way, shape, or form, but that the way that the text describes the experience of Harsinai and the Asera Sedibras is not described like anything else in the whole of Tanakh, in the whole of Torah, the tradition. So there, it's not you or me or somebody else who's saying, you know, we got to really start taking this seriously. The Torah is pointing to it in its every breath all the time. And so that, that's maybe what you, you saw. And of course, we all know this on some, on some level. We have the holiday of Shavuot. We think about it. We have Parshat Yitro. We stand. Parshat Vetchanan, we stand. We're doing things, but it's there. It's, it's really there, but it's not at the same time. You know, what, one of my, the central teachings that I got from my rabbi, Rav Noach Weinberg, is in one of the things that he did with his life is he was able to look at every Jew 
and see in them a partner with God in perfecting the world. So put yourself into that mindset for a second, okay? It says this before the giving of the Ten Commandments. God's giving this assignment to the Jewish people. He calls them a kingdom of koanim, kingdom of spiritual leaders, mamlechet koanim, begoy kadosh, a holy people, which means that the Jewish people have this ability and responsibility to perfect the world. On an individual level, it means that we can share in that. Each one of us individually is being called to contribute our unique role in that. And so how do we remind Jews of that? How do we bring ourselves to that recognition? So I, I just, you know, one example that maybe is relevant here is when I say this now, I do say it every morning and every night together with the, the Shema. And what I'm finding is, as, it's, as I'm experiencing this, is, is it, it's really raising the stakes. In other words, it's one thing to say, yeah, of course, I, I accept that, the Jewish people. I mean, again, a religious Jew, certainly, but even secular Jews, tikkun olam, that's our identity as, as a Jewish people. We have to do that. We have to be socially active. Okay, but it's the idea that it's actually a covenantal relationship with God that he's entrusted you with. And that he's asking us every day to reach further and further, to higher and higher, to fulfill that partnership that he's entrusted with. With that's an avoda. We call that an avoda. It's it's a lifting of consciousness. It's a heightening of awareness. What are the well, issues of the world? It's a service, and it's a it's an inner service, but it translates into a lot of challenges in the external world. You know, if if I see a, a situation that needs repair, tikkun, right? And I could say, look, it's not my business. I, I, I'm going. I got other things to deal with. But if you see yourself as a partner in in perfecting the world, transforming whatever term you can be comfortable with, then that person is coming to you to say, what do you? What's your response to this? How can you help this situation? So by daily reconnecting with that mission, you heighten your awareness of what your world is. As the Talmud says, Hayav Adam Lomar, person's obligated to say, Bishvilini for Olam. The world was created for me. Now, the Ten Commandments were the vehicle for us to perfect the world, meaning, of course, the whole Torah is, and the, and the Ten Commandments are the vehicle to understand the whole of Torah, but the Tamsit, the essence, and the character that we're supposed to in, embrace, the uh, as you started at the beginning, a Baal Aseratati brought someone who's a master of the Aseratati brought is a person who's living with gratefulness and happiness. He knows how to use the power of speech. He's living in a world where he respects the integrity of possession and he and the freedom every person has inherently. You can go through each of the Debrot and see how each of these qualities create a a master of character and ultimately a master of responsibility to that vision of a different world. And and that's how I've always, since I got introduced to Judaism, understood that. But I never had a constant vehicle, a vehicle that could not only reinforce this daily, be, be a constant expanding uh, uh, GPS to fulfill it. And and that's to me, I, I mean, I don't know anything else like that. It, well, it's, it's very confronting. It's, it's confronting in a in a way because what you're saying is 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 that the more you study them, repeat them, and internalize them, the more responsibility you feel you have to take on 
to the world around you so that at other times, maybe when it's not as much in your, in your mind, you don't see the ways that it can be applied. But the more that you learn them and live with them, the more ways that you want to apply them that are, are always there, but you're just not, you didn't see them. And so you've really set the pace for what this means to you and, and, and what it might mean for, for all of us. So what was it like before? What, you know, you, 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 you had this experience with Sharon Puchergali, who's a pivotal figure uh, in some way in your experience. You were doing so much of what you're doing now before. So what was it like before and what is it like now? How has it changed you? How has it challenged you to be better? What's, what's it been like for you to start trying to live with the Aseret Hadibrot? You know, I think all of us, when we, we make changes in our lives, we, we in some ways um, struggle with the feedback mechanism that we have with that change. Right? If a person is uh, struggling with, uh, I don't know, they, they feel very alone. Okay, they're struggling with their own internal loneliness. Okay, so then they finally decide they're going to make more friends. And they go out and they start making a friend. And it doesn't go smoothly. It doesn't automatically, oh, yeah, fine. I was waiting for you to be, to, you know, and they, and they feel rejection. Then they feel worse. They go back into the shell and go, I, oh, gosh, I thought I was going to try to be, and it didn't work, right? We think that when we make a change, we'll go out and then the whole world will respond as if they were waiting for us for this. But we know life doesn't work like that exactly. And and so the feedback that I initially got for this it was mixed. You know, there it wasn't like, oh, Shalom, finally someone revealed this to the world. Here we're gonna, you know. So it was a it was a process of clarifying both internally what it meant and and dealing with a, a kind of like blank stares a little bit, like because people have assumptions of what the Ten Commandments are, both in the religious world. To some extent, in the non-religious world, the, the feedback was much, much more powerful because uh, they, they were waiting for something. We brought it to the schools. And so that feedback mechanism was very exciting. And and we did films with uh, people on the street and talked to them about this. But so the, the whole bringing it to the Israeli secular world was very, very exciting and received with a lot of enthusiasm. The religious world, on the other hand, I think looked at it as like, what is this? Like, okay, well, why should we do this? We had the Torah, like it wasn't, wasn't clear. So what I'm saying is I had to then really do my research and, and really look at all of the sources that um, dealt with the meaning of the Assyrian and these historical issues and look at the, the impact that each Diber could have on a person, whether they were a totally religious Jew or a totally secular Jew. And, and start translating that, testing it myself, and also to with my colleagues and, and working on the research of how this could actually translate into a transformative, an experience of a different level of connection to our, our mission and, and our identity. And Does that answer your question? <laughs> well, it, it, part of it, it, part of it, it's about, that, and that more has to do with how other people received it or didn't receive it. And it makes sense, let's say, in a community, in a more religious community, that we might, there might be more resistance, more difficulties, because there's already so much responsibility. There's 613 meets vote, and there are many people who are interested in different pathways of, um, within Judaism. And so it might just seem like another way to look at things, another 
and and, I, and we're we're saying that this is sort of a meta way of looking at things that there might be different drachim within being a Jew, whether you're more mystically inclined, more rationally inclined, you know, more interested in Sephardi, Sephardi lifestyle and culture, Ashkenazi or Yemenite, or there's, there's different flavors of being Jewish in different ways that people connect in different meets both that people love in different holidays and different ways that, um, that kind of tinkle or tickle their, their fancy, their interests. And, but I think that what a Sarah is, is more about whatever, things you're already interested in, whatever way that you are as a Jew, this is just bigger glass. These are just glasses to, to get to the absolute, hopefully essential core of being a Jew. And by extension, being a human being that lends itself infinitely relevant to whatever way that you live anyway, that you're already living. And I think that might be hard because it seems like it's something else. It's another Jewish education thing. It's another, it's just another one of the many ways that people are engaged. And so it's, you know, it's hard to hear maybe. Yeah. I I think you're right about that. I think you described it very well. I'll just add one other dimension of this, which is, you know, the Mechilta says that before the 10 commandments were imprinted on the tablets, they were imprinted on the souls of the Jewish people. And to me, that's a paradigm of Jewish education in general. Education should be about awakening what's inside. My son gave me an interesting example today from a, a shiur that he heard. He said that it says that salt is not, uh, salt is put on the korbanot, the sacrifices. And in the same section where it says that salt is put on the mincha offering, it says nothing should be put on the mincha offering. What do you mean? You just said nothing should be put. Now you're saying salt. And he explained that salt is only that which awakens the taste that's already there. It's not adding something from the outside. It's awakening the inherent flavor that's there. So too with all education. All education should not be viewed as adding anything, but rather awakening that person's unique flavor, the unique identity. And and the Ten Commandments, as, as my... Again, my teacher, Rabbi Weinberg, when I asked him to describe how he understood the unique dimension of the Aserita that he brought with respect to the rest of the Torah, he said these are the 10 most self-evident truths and values of the Torah. And in that regard, the entire process needs to be with that level of respect and view of the individual as already containing these core values. You're not teaching him something new. You're awakening something deeply uh, in him or her. But more even specifically, you're giving them the tools and the and the awareness to fully express themselves. Right? What more do we want in life than to be ourselves? And as as Lo Tachmod puts it, don't covet. You know, don't try to be anybody else. They're all taken. Be be yourself. That applies to us individually, our families, our communities, the Jewish people as a whole and ultimately uh, every human being. So in that regard, the the transformation that I went through and trying to communicate this to others was really taking that very seriously, really looking at this as something that is already there. Well, if salt, first of all, of course, we know that the the Ten Commandments are a brit. They're the, the, the bris that takes place on Har Sinai and the salt there's, I think it was just in this last week's Parsha about the breed of salt. 
So maybe there's a connection there that's that the Ten Commandments are kind of like salt, uh, in the in the sense that they provide flavor for everything else that's already going on. They 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 bring it all alive, and just for for people to understand what we're talking about, that it's in, you know engraved on the souls. You have the idea of the mechuta here, but what's very interesting is in Devarim when Moshe is speaking to Bnei Israel about to re-reveal to them the Aser Sedibras with a different generation, he he says Hashem elokinu karesi manu bris bechorav. Hashem, our God, made a covenant with us at Choriv. What, what is that talking about? The revelation at Har Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Not with just that generation before did God make this bris, but everybody here right now, all of us here are a part of that. That was, which was in the other generation is here now. Panim befanim diber Hashem imachem bahar mitochaish. Face to face, God spoke to you. God spoke to you face to face. It's in the plural. It's clearly pointing to the revelation at Har Sinai. And Moshe is saying, God spoke to you, not your ancestors, but to you right now here because of that experience back then. And so there's obviously a way to see it in a poetic sense from the Michalta. I'm not sure how he got that. Uh, but but it's clearly right here in the text that there is something about this these ten that are with us now all the time as if it's panim be panim daber hishem hashem imachem imachem right now, and and that's I think that is the salt if, that is the the essential essential part that is going to enliven hopefully every other initiative every other way that Jews relate to their Jewish identity with the relationship with God with themselves with other people. This could bring the flavor out, hopefully. So in what ways do you want to share with us? We're going to, we've sort of just ran through and we're going to actually hopefully start with a bit of a series that goes through, first of all, Hakdama, an introduction, why this is so such a valuable idea, practice, way of looking at, at Torah, where it comes from, what it means. We're going to do stuff like that. We're going to go through the 10, but just give us a sense of how it's flavored your life, how it's been salt for you so far in your experience. I think we all look to express ourselves. You know, I, I think a driving force in my life, uh, even as a young child, was to ask the question, who am I? What's my role in the world? And I think this has given me a very clear focus for answering that and, and constantly deepening and being more connected and motivated to fulfill that. Uh, just to give it some context, you know, I had, I, I think I shared this with you once that my, my granddaughter at that time, she was uh, nine years old. I said to her, uh, Shoshana, tell me, is there anybody like you in the whole world? She thought for a second and she said, no. I said, you realize there's like 7 billion, maybe today, 8 billion people in the world. Is there somebody that's just like you? No, there's not. I said, how do you know? She thought for a second and she said, I don't know how I know, but I know. And I think that, and we went through then, was there anybody in all of history that was like you? And what about some, you know, we, we went through this question of, of this intuition of our uniqueness that we even have as, as children. So what does that mean? That means that we each have unique contribution to make to this world. So when I'm with somebody now, and I'm I'm not looking to convince them to become Bali Aseret in the sense of, you know, okay, now the Ten Commandments, you got to be carrying the flag of the Ten Commandments. I want them to find their unique role in this world, in this life, like all of us do. 
And at the same time, to realize that the Ten Commandments are a guide for that. They're both a, a, a an anchor and a compass. They're a GPS. They're they're a route for motivation. So I I want to awaken the power of the Ten Commandments as a way for individuals and communities and ultimately the Jewish people, each in their own way, to express their contribution to this mission that we've been entrusted with. I think that's a good answer for now. I'd like to uh, share my own experience uh, with Project Asera, learning about it. For me, I have always been fascinated with text. And many teachers, Rabbi Foreman, Rabbi Sachs, that's all, are very interested in textual patterns, textual parallels, intertextuality, ways of seeing parts of Torah, Torah's, Torah's commentary on itself through linguistic parallels. And the moment, the minute that I heard about this idea that the Kola, Kola Torah Kula, all of Torah is included, the Ten Commandments, the whole Torah can be found in the Ten, all the mitzvot can be found, that there's all the, and different people like Rav Sadia Gaon, this is a Jurassic thing where you can try and relate every single mitzvah to the Ten. There's so many ways to look at this. I realized what an incredibly rich and infinitely open way to discover all of Torah with this anchor of 10, this anchor of 10. And so kind of a reverse about the fear that people had about the 10 being raised above and everything else forgotten. For me, it was the 10 are the, the, you know, the core part that's going to lead to the discovery of everything else. And what's so fascinating and incredible about living today in Jewish learning is that with computers and technology, I am able to, A, do two things. Number one, make Torah learning, the visual aesthetic more pleasing, using color coding and all sorts of different ways to make the, 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 the living word more interesting. But also the research that can, Torah, I think Rabbi, Rabbi Foreman talks about this, is sort of the hyperlinked idea, the internet. The Torah is this perfect shidduch match with the internet. Because if you open up any safer in the world right now, you'll see hundreds of footnotes. You see leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to that. And with the Torah, the education now comes alive. Hyperlinked can take you from one place to another. You can go traveling across eras and across places. There's all these places, opportunities to search in Tanakh, Chipuspa Tanakh in Safaria, where you could look up verses you know, in one place and see, is it anywhere else? Does it, does it lead to anywhere else? Parts of the Ten Commandments and other things. Whereas in other generations, you had to be a Bucky. You had to be somebody who, first of all, had all the texts there, you know, around you and in your room. Now today, it's all could be all found on the internet. And you had to have the ability to know from memory where you think something might be. And so I know that I feel blessed to have sort of downloaded into using the computer as an extension of the mind to have downloaded all of these ideas, all of Torah, all of the oral Torah, the Tanakh, everything is there. The ability to research and to find the connections and to do studying that can lead you from the 10 to everywhere else. I just think the matching of the technology that is available today with the idea of the 10 being the foundation stone from which everything else follows and you got to go on journeys and find them all is just such a beautiful match. And so for me, that was really what drew my fancy is that the ability to learn the Torah's own commentary in itself through language parallels and the Torah's primary message coming through the Ten Commandments is just fun. And it's been, it's, I don't know if fun is the right word, it's, it's, it's just enlivened 
all of my study and all of my way of teaching that even when I teach something, for example, about lo tachmod, and I relate it to the the etzadas tovarah because the lo tachmod velotitaveh, the two verbs that go into those that part of the Torah to describe not coveting, is only found in one other place, which is the Garden of Eden. And so learning the story of the Garden of Eden can teach you so much about Lotachmod. And then you go there and then you go here and then you're just, and every kind of thing that I teach, uh, you know, aside from my podcast, which is more of a Parsha podcast that I was doing before the Ten Commandments or learning more about the Ten Commandments, everything that I teach, I try myself to find where am I placing this? Where is it going to go into the 10 that I can sort of integrate it into the, the, the sort of essence of all things when it comes to revelation and God and Harsinai. And so that's sort of my interest in, in this and, and how that's sort of got me going. I thought it would be important to share that with people here listening as well. That's beautiful and inspiring. And of course, maybe the listeners are interested in the reminder that there are uh, 620 letters in the text of the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, corresponding to the 613 commandments plus the seven commandments of B'nai Noach. Uh, so it's it's just another little reminder of the all-inclusivity of the Aserah uh, to So within the 10, you can find everything. The 10 is just a starting point, And hopefully, the more we talk about it, the more we learn about what was the the revelation, the most direct communication from God to humanity, it can help us live better lives. I, I hate to cheapen it like that and to say, you know, it's a tool on some level, but it, it you know, it's a technology, it's a tool uh, on, on an individual, psychological, emotional, social, communal, national, international, humanal, whatever you want to call it, uh, level. And I think that this podcast that we're doing are going to be interviewing people that are excelling in certain parts of their life, the way that they're living, either explicitly knowing how it connects to the 10 or just happen to be excelling in one area of the 10. And really that can include every sort of field because you can find the 10 in everything. So that's really our goal here, but we're also going to start by just getting our feet wet into the conversation about why the 10 matter in not just a sort of inspirational sense that we've been talking now, but with details, more details, and as well as a, an early analysis of the 10 to, to take us to get people started on their own journey in this area. So thanks for, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. So that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening to another meaningful episode of Aseret. We hope there was at least one takeaway that can inspire you to be just a little bit better than you were yesterday.